Attention, attention all personnel. Welcome to a special episode of FW Presents, the omnibus show for the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your commanding officer, Lieutenant Colonel Rob Kelly, and joining me to discuss the TV series MASH on the occasion of its 45th anniversary is General Zaki Hassan. Zaki, welcome back to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Hey, I guess, I'm just glad I'm not a major. <laughs> That's right. I, I figured you, you know, you were you're coming to visit, and the visitors were always generals on that show. So I figured that's that true. Was appropriate. Uh, before, <laughs> we, before we get into our personal histories with with Mash, as I mentioned, it's the show's 45th anniversary. It debuted on CBS Television on September 17th, 1972. Which, if you're listening to this show the day it comes out, that's today. I just want to do a brief overview of the show for any of you that don't exactly know the history of it. Basically, of course. It was originally a book by Richard uh, Hooker or Richard Hornberger, depending. And then it was made into a movie by Robert Altman, which was a massive success. And then uh, CBS and 20th Century Fox got the bright idea, maybe we could make this into a television show. Even though it's all about uh, sex and foul language and blood and all these things, they somehow thought it would make a good TV show. They hired producer Gene Reynolds and writer Larry Gilbart to craft the show. Larry Gilbert made some decisions early on, which was, first of all, to bring Frank Burns back into the, the fold. In the movie, of course, he sh- shuffled off into the, to a mental hospital. But Larry Gilbert decided, no, 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 he's going to be the main villain of our piece. He got rid of one of the three leads, uh, which means Duke Forrest uh, was, uh, was not going to be present in this TV show. And they went about and, and hired this uh, sort of interesting cast of actors, Alan Alda playing Hawkeye, Wayne Rogers as Trapper John, McLean Stevenson as Colonel Henry Blake, Loretta Swit as Major Houlihan, Larry Linville as Frank Burns, Gary Berghoff as Rita O'Reilly, the only actor, the only regular to be retained from the movie. The show debuted, uh, like I said, on September 17, 1972, to a resounding indifference. Uh, the first season, nobody really cared about it. It got middling reviews, um, lukewarm ratings. And apparently the only person at CBS that cared about this show, that thought it was good, was the wife of William Paley, who was the president of CBS. Uh, And apparently every week she would begrudge her husband that this was a great show and he should keep it on the air. And apparently that's what really helped the show stay on, was the the, the pillow talk from Mrs. Paley. Uh, So eventually over the summer, uh, the show's ratings started uh, spiking up because people caught it in reruns. So then CBS decided for the second season they would put it on Saturday nights after All in the Family, which was their blockbuster show. So Larry Gilbert essentially wrote a second pilot, which kicked off the second season. And the show was a massive hit. The audience that had stayed for, watched uh, All in the Family, stayed for MASH, realized the show was good, and off it went. And the show was basically a giant hit for the remaining 10, 10 seasons uh, to the point where despite numerous cast changes and, and changes behind the scenes, it remained popular. And in fact, during its last couple of seasons, it was the number one show on television. And when it went off the air on February 28, 1983, uh, the final episode, which was two and a half hours long, was the highest rated uh, broadcast fictional show in the history of television with a 77 share. Uh, for those of you who don't know what that exactly means, it means of all the people watching television that night, 77% of them were watching MASH. Uh, Amazing. That is, yeah, that is a number that will never be equaled uh, in this fracturous you know, way of we watch television now. 
That number will never be equal. 125 million people watched the final episode. Uh, over time, it made its way into syndication, and it became a bedrock of syndication packages all over the world. That's how I discovered it. And the show is still running to this day. So that's the you know brief history of MASH. Now, Zachy, I'm going to take your bags into the VIP tent. So while I do that, why don't, <laughs> why don't you explain like what's your history of the show? Why do you love it so much? Oh, man. Well, I, I have to admit up front, I am a relative piker when it comes to MASH fandom, uh, when it comes to, uh, as, as contrasted with you. So I, I'm basking in your reflected glory, Rob. <laughs> uh, I, I did not grow up with it. I, I grew up with MASH as the thing that would come on before The Simpsons and syndication. So I would usually watch, you know, the last uh, four minutes of it, <laughs> you know, uh, before the Simpsons started, so I I didn't watch it at all during my childhood. What a combo! <laughs> it's actually a great combo because I think I think uh, uh, I think tonally there I I see uh, embers of Mash's comedy style, uh, especially early Mash in you know what they did on the Simpsons, and uh, uh, I only see that now in hindsight, especially just by happenstance. Right now, before we started recording, I. I was watching the episode "The Bus" from the fourth season, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm watching Mash with my kids right now. And right afterwards, they're like, "Can we watch The Simpsons?" And I put on The Simpsons, and I was like, "Man, this is like a flashback to when I was a kid." You know, it's very funny. But uh, I I was always aware of Mash. I knew the characters. It's interesting when I think about it. Like I knew who the characters were, and I think to I I attribute that partially to just the way the the show had really penetrated pop culture to the extent that even people who, who hadn't seen it knew knew it or knew of it, you know? I also attribute that to uh, having read, like, Mad Magazine parodies and stuff. I remember specifically, <laughs> I, I remember there was a Mad parody of MASH's later years, and it was talking, it was making fun of how the show had outlasted the Korean War by, like, you know, four times or however yeah, long. Eight, however, eight however years. Much long. Yeah, the Korean War lasted three years, MASH lasted 11. <laughs> there you go. Right, you know, and, and I remember that the... the the, the mad parody making fun of that and and it may it was like oh uh, here's the thing for Trapper John where's he oh he went back to this and where's Henry Blake oh he went back home and got killed by doing you know Hello Larry or whatever you know it was and it was <laughs> I mean I don't know if you remember reading Mad Magazine the great oh, thing I about do, Mad yeah. it, it it was like you didn't understand the references <laughs> but you would still laugh right yeah yeah it's true you know. So, so that, so again, it was always kind of part of the ether for me. I, I, inve- and you know this story already. I, I invested in the series when they put out a complete series box set on DVD, including the film, and it was called the Martinis and Medicine Collection. And I was like, well, uh, there's, I've never watched Mash before. Might as well start now. And so I bought it and I watched the movie and I watched the show. And this was ten years ago. Uh, it was right when my first son had been born, and so. I was I would rock with him, you know, on the, on the rocking chair and get him to sleep, and I would just watch Mash. So I blazed through the whole series in about uh, I would say five six months, and uh, and 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 uh, I loved the show, and and so by by that time, I mean Mash was not part of sort of the, the pop culture conversation the same way it used to be, uh, but I'm glad I watched it then, and and it's weird because I mean just in those ten years. Uh, so many of the cast members have passed away. Like we're seeing uh, a rapidity now, unfortunately, of, of people 
uh, leaving us who, who were part of the, the MASH series. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, these are, these are all these guys now are in their, you know, 70s and 80s at this point. You know? I know. So, uh, yeah, I will, I, I've told people before that I don't have too many people that I consider heroic, but in terms of um, fictional characters, but like Hawkeye is one of the ones, you know, like I just yeah. keyed into that. But no, so what, I mean, what about the show appealed to you? I mean, when you watched it, because I mean, it's got all these ancient references to stuff. And you talked about the Mad Magazine. I mean, MASH is full of old timey 40s and yeah. 50s references that when I was a kid, I was like, what are they talking about? Like, I don't know, I don't know yeah. what that is, you know? So what was it appeal- that appealed to you so long after the show had sort of shuffled off the mortal coil? Well, I mean, I, I think ultimately good uh, storytelling is about compelling characters and we don't we don't need to have an essential grounding in the 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 sort of internecine specifics of the Korean War to understand war, right? And I think sure. that's the brilliance of the show and that's what uh, this is this goes back to Altman with the film where it could have been about Vietnam to the point that the studio was like, no, no, make sure people know it's about Korea. I mean, war is war, right? And and the the beauty of the show is that it could be about Korea, it could be about Vietnam, it could be about Desert Storm, it could be about uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom, right? The the essentials are the same, which is these doctors who are in a situation where they're just trying to preserve their own sanity while doing this just godforsaken. I was going to say godforsaken work, but they're doing God's work in this godforsaken situation. And I mean that's that's universal because unfortunately. Uh, war is uh, a truism of the human condition, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, when I was, I watched it in syndication. It, it, on, it aired an hour every night from 7 to 8, and that was when I discovered it. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I love about immersing myself in pop culture, I really enjoy, uh, if, I, if there's something I like, I like if there's a lot of it. Um, yeah. I sort of enjoy the deep dive, um, like, you know, in the, in the, when I watch it in syndication, you know, there was no internet. So I didn't know how many episodes there were. So I just kept watching it, and I kept seeing more episodes. I was like, wow, this thing is, <laughs> wow. you know, I mean, I, I'm just not a, I'm not someone who, if they like a musician, like, and they did three albums. To me, I would get tired of the three albums very quickly. Sure. I mean, there's a reason why I have a Bob Dylan podcast, because there's 40 records to talk about. There's lots of stuff. <laughs> And so with lots MASH, of content. Yeah, lots of content. So with MASH, there is 251 episodes, and it, it breaks down into very distinct eras. Uh, the first three years, it's the core group as uh, that I just mentioned of uh, Hawkeye, Trapper, Henry, uh, Frank Burns, uh, Hot Lips, Radar, and then you have uh, Klinger and Father Mulcahy sort of coming in as side characters and eventually sort of getting promoted. And then both uh, Trapper and Henry left at the end of the third season in different ways. Uh, and then they were replaced by B.J. Honeycutt and Colonel Potter. And they, that, that iteration of the show lasted for two seasons. Then Frank Burns left. He was replaced by Major Winchester. He stayed on until the end of the show. And then in season eight, the last cast member to leave was uh, Radar O'Reilly. And, and so for the last three seasons, the show was a fairly consistent group of actors. You had Alda and Loretta Switt stay through all 11 years. I will say the thing that I that really hooked me, and, and I agree with everything you just said about the constancy of war. War is war. It doesn't matter 
settings. And yeah, I didn't need to know the history of the Korean War, though I started learning it because of MASH. I was sort of interested sure. in it. But um, one of the things that I think the movie MASH gets across that, that doesn't interest me as much is that I feel like the show, the movie, has the idea of these people are being put in an impossible situation where their lives are in danger, they're they're facing blood and death on a daily basis, and therefore they kind of turn into kind of cruel people. And yes. the movie is okay with that. The movie is saying this is what happens. Uh, these are they're right. good at their they're good at their jobs. They're good doctors, but they've 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 in some ways kind of curdled into really mean people. And right. the show, to me, takes the opposite tack. The show says in in an in a setting where it would be excusable to give in to your worst, uh, you know, your basest desires, these are people that are fighting to retain their humanity. It's more important than ever to yeah. stay human. Yeah. yeah. And that appealed to me. You know, I was a sensitive kid. You know, I mean, I was not a macho kid. Hard to believe somebody read comic books was not a macho kid. <laughs> and I, I appreciated the fact that Alan Alda, who became a really creative powerhouse over the course of the show, he wrote a bunch of episodes, directed a bunch of episodes, and of course he Yeah, started. I mean, he, he, he was a one-man band for some of these things, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, he's the only cast member to appear in every single episode. There was an episode of season five where he is the only cast member. Uh, That's right. So, so he's, you know, he's 251 for 251, and I, I appreciated his willingness to be sensitive. His, his ability to say, it doesn't mean you're not uh, manly, but you can be sensitive to people's feelings. You can be thoughtful. And that appealed to me as a, as a, as a young child, you know, and I've always stuck with that. So of the, of the iterations of the show, uh, is there a particular era that you find you just tend to want to, like, want to rewatch more than, than others? You know, I, I think that... That's that's actually a really good question. I was thinking I was thinking about this train of thought, you know, in, in prep for this, and I, I was like, you know, every every era of the show is different, but there's it's rarely a situation where I'm like I, uh, you know, I only like the the Trapper John era, or you know, I because I like B.J. Honeycutt and Trapper, you know, so I don't I don't it's to me. It, it, uh, when I look at the show, I'm like, man, it sucks that we lost Trapper, but I do. I'm glad we got BJ. Like, it's it's a tough, it's a tough choice, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think the first three years are the strongest in terms of representing more of the sensibility of the film. Uh, but I don't, you know, I don't think Mash ever became Zombie Mash, you know. <laughs> You know, because we see that with with a lot of shows that sort of outstay their welcome, that where they do become kind of a parody of themselves. I think that Mash for its eleven seasons, it uh, as you alluded to, I mean, it it would it it went through this these very subtle tonal shifts, but it was still it was always compelling, and it did become more of a dramedy by the end of the show. But by then, we were so invested in the characters that we didn't mind. So I, uh, yeah, I, I would say probably the Frank Burns era is I, I the, if I have to pick, like if we're as a dividing line, I do find those episodes more fun. I I like Winchester. I I didn't I didn't find him as uh, compelling a foil as right. as Frank Burns right. was, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, part of the difference between, like, say, Trapper and BJ is that Trapper and Hawkeye are much more of a duo. They're yes. they're hard drinking. They're womanizing. They are much more uh, alike. And yes. it's when he is replaced at the end of the third. Now he disappears. Wayne Rogers left due to some sort of contractual kind of thing. He he felt that Alan Alda was slowly taking over the show, which ended up really being true. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't think in a nefarious way, but I think it was just Alda as Hawkeye was such a creative force and so and compelling he was, a performer. He was a magnetic personality. Yeah, that yeah. you just could not help uh, making more of the shows be about him, even though Trapper John was ostensibly the main character in the movie. Uh, Wayne Rogers just couldn't help but sort of get overwhelmed a little. And so when he... Uh, he was replaced in the middle of the third season when Hawkeye returns in the first episode of season four, which is called Welcome to Korea, after he goes on a, on a long bender in Tokyo. He comes yeah. back and finds out that Trapper has been discharged, and he never got a chance to say goodbye. He was uh, They couldn't contact Hawkeye, and so Trapper just leaves. And that right. is, a, that is a, a thread that they continue through the rest of the seasons, that Hawkeye never fully got over that. Uh, right. that, that his friend just left him. In fact, in the final episode, the very last episode, yeah, what I was about to say, there's yeah. a reference to to Hawkeye talking about uh, the Trapper. He says Trapper left without leaving, without saying goodbye too. And he says, "Is it the war that stinks or me?" And I love that they kept that going. That that yeah. ate away at Hawkeye. That his best friend left him. So when they bring in Mike Farrell as BJ Honeycutt, BJ in a lot of ways is a duller character because he's married, he's loyal to his wife except for one episode. Um, But he's much more of a normal guy, but I liked the greater contrast between the two. He's less of a hellraiser. He's less of a, he doesn't have the need to be as in-your-face disobedient as as uh, as Hawkeye, and in fact, the first episode in, in with Colonel Potter, where he is he's bringing every all of his officers into into uh, his office to talk, you know, to in, introduce them all. Um, he, he you know he's reading off the names, and he says uh, uh, Captain B J Honeycutt, and B J goes yes sir, and then they goes through you know okay you're this you're that, and then he goes uh, Captain Benjamin Franklin Pierce, and Hawkeye goes yo. And right. Potter goes, keep your yo's to yourself. And so it's like, you know, <laughs> Hawkeye can't help himself. He has to be sort of disobedient. He has to establish, I'm not army. BJ doesn't feel right. the need to do that. BJ is more kind of a get-along guy, even though he is just as anti-war. He's just as anti-military. He's just as much of a, of a, of a rebel rouser, rabble rouser as Hawkeye. He's just quieter about it. And I, I like that about him. I like that he's more subtle in his insolence so i sort of like that yeah and and the and the banter between them is very you know you, you notice that with with mike farrell's delivery where it's always his zingers are very sort of understated yeah <laughs> you know and it, yeah i mean definitely the show morphed from being sort of a two-hander with with a trapper and, and hawkeye into into i was gonna say straight man situation but I, I i don't even know that that's necessarily what i would call it with bj it was just different you know it was just different but different is fine yeah um but but yeah i mean trapper was such a great character i mean i i i mentioned this to you uh online i mean there's the episode in the third season where they think trapper is going to be discharged yes check on. uh yeah and and that ends up being sort of the trapper farewell episode in hindsight and 
uh, man, I thought it was terrific. And and no, watching that, knowing that, well, we're like a few episodes from him leaving anyway. The 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 emotion that Hawkeye expresses, you know, um, like thanks, you made this place bearable or something, some dead effect. I'm probably screwing it up. It was terrific, you know. I mean, there's an added poignancy, and it, especially now that unfortunately Wayne Rogers has passed on too. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's funny, just as Wayne Rogers was sort of heading out the door, they actually kind of gave him more to do. Um, there's an episode in season three called Love and Marriage, where we find out yes. that a guy... Oh, yeah. Yeah, we find out that there's a soldier who's marrying a, a Korean woman, and it's clear that she's a prostitute, and it's clear that this is a scam. And originally, the the kid, the guy, Dennis Dugan, who's a director now, he directs uh, Adam Sandler movies... Um, no kidding. Oh, yeah, how that, funny. That's, that's, that's him. Yeah, that's, that's Dennis that's Dugan, Dugan, yeah. Um, he, uh, what is his name? Uh, Charlie, he played, what's his name? Charlie Brockowich or something on the Rockford Files. I forget. Eddie Brock, whatever the hell his character's name was. But, um, <laughs> Dennis Dugan, but he ends up, we, you know, he, he sells himself as, a, as they call him, clean-cut boy McShane. And right. he's, he's this kind of aw shucks, I didn't know, or whatever. And there's this wonderful moment where Trapper... Uh, Hawkeye has to go off out of the camp. So Trapper invites uh, clean-cut boy McShane into his tent, and he reveals, McShane drops the illusion, and he, and he reveals himself to be a slime ball. And he's like, what, what's the problem? You know, what, what's wrong with an enlisted man getting in on the gravy? And right. uh, Trapper has this great bit where he says, uh, you know, you call me sir one more time, I'm going to prescribe a 24-hour enema. And it's like he's real. Wayne Rogers is terrific in the scene, and it's one of his last episodes on the show. And I remember thinking when I watched that one, "Geez, if they had given Wayne Rogers more stuff like this, he wouldn't have left." You know, like they're giving it to him now. As by the time he's already decided to leave the show. Well, and and the thing of it is that I mean, you know, without without I mean, because because there's a lot of he said she said about why he ended up leaving, but I mean. If he'd been willing to stick it out, it the the wheel would have come back around because in eleven seasons there would have been plenty of trapper centric episodes, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I I have to uh, you know I wonder if by the time Mike Farrell came aboard that they didn't realize that we need to do balance this a little better because Mike Farrell as BG Hunter gets you know became a co equal. I mean Hawkeye was always the first among equals. There's no doubt right. about it. But BJ got a lot to do, and he in fact. He's my favorite character. He's my favorite character on the show. I'd say because I like his quiet rebellion, and I love the fact that he got a lot of great jokes. They didn't just give Hawkeye all the jokes. There's a wonderful episode in season five called Dear Sigmund, uh, mm-hmm, where right. uh, Sidney Friedman, oh, God, I love Sidney Friedman, um, is writing a letter to Sigmund Freud as kind of a therapeutic thing, and there's this great bit where he explains why he's hanging out at the camp so long because he's depressed. Basically, yeah. and that was that was an Alan Alda written episode, I believe. Right, yes, it is, and uh, it's yeah. a wonderful episode. And he goes on this long, very sensitive spiel about a patient that uh, was depressed and ends up killing himself. And Sidney missed the signals, and he's mm. feeling very guilty about that. And right as he talks about that, he's not doing his work anymore. Frank Burns emerges from his cot underneath uh-huh. all these clothes, and he starts making fun of Sidney Friedman. <laughs> and then there's this great exchange where Hawkeye says, oh, God, I thought that lump on his bed was dirty laundry. And BJ goes, it is. <laughs> so I love <laughs> now, I love, like, to me, if that, had, if that joke had been in an earlier season, the jokes would have been flipped. They would have given yeah. Hawkeye the stinger, but instead they give it to BJ. And I thought, well, they, they were able to, whether that was Mike Farrell being more assertive, mm-hmm. 
or the, the, the writers were realizing we need to give BJ more to do, but I, I like the show became more balanced under BJ. Well, and just, I mean, I mean, if we're, t- this is turning into like the BJ Honeycutt uh, love <laughs> fest, but I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the character too. And, and, uh, I just, uh, like I said, I just watched the bus and there's this little moment that jumped out at me where, you know, they've got the prisoner, uh, played by Suntek O and, you know, Frank is guarding him and he's being, you know, sort of the quintessential ugly American, you know, uh, and then, you know, BJ takes over the shift to watch him and Frank storms off and, and you see BJ looking at the prisoner and he just kind of does like the talky talky motion with his hands. Like, oh yeah, he just, he likes to talk a lot, you know? And I just, and he kind of rolls his eyes a little and I was like, I love that. You know, it's, just, it's, just, it's this understated thing, but it gives you a sense of, of who the character is. Yeah. That's yeah. Um, I do want to wind back a little in the earlier seasons that as the show you know, got more popular. They and CBS sort of left it alone. There's a great, there is a, there is a, a wonderful episode from the first season called "Sometimes You Hear the Bullet," which oh, yeah. really sure. a lot of people considered the beginning of Matt, like the real start of the show. Yes, because it's uh, it's it's the one where it, it mixes, you know, heartbreaking, you know, pathos with laughs, and where an old friend of BJ, uh, BJ's, of course, an old friend of Hawkeye's shows up at the camp and then uh, is shot to death in war and then Hawkeye's the one that has to work on the table and he cries about it. There is a great moment where they, you know, the network was completely against that episode. They, they thought this is too serious. This is a comedy. People don't want to see this. And uh, there's a, there's a legendary story where apparently some network flack uh, cornered Larry Gelbart upon seeing sometimes you hear the bullet and said, you know what, Gelbart, someday I'm going to be, I'm someday I'm going to tell you how you guys ruined mash. Wow, and, uh, you know, and I'm sure that guy was probably ended up getting promoted at some point right. in television. <laughs> he failed upward. Yeah, he failed upward. He's absolutely, but it's <laughs> which that, is which is like something out of Mash, by the way. Uh, which, which of course happens to uh, Frank Burns, and we can talk about that <laughs> right. shortly. But uh, right. but later on, as the show got more confident, they were able to tackle tackle heavier issues. There's an episode in and that but but that episode, by the way, uh, we should mention Ron Howard was the was, was right. in that episode. Ron, yeah. yes, Ron Howard as a as a as a as a kid that lies to get into fighting because he's only like fifteen for, for the glory for the glory and to 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 impress his girlfriend Bernice that stupid right. Bernice wants uh, wants medals <laughs> yeah, he, wants, he wants to see medals on his chest but right. uh, there's an episode in season two called George where we find out that there is a soldier who was beaten up by his fellow uh, his fellow uh, unit uh, mates yeah. because he's gay. Right, and yeah. uh, and Burns, of course, wants to rat him out, wants to throw him out of the army. Thank God we've gotten over that mentality. And yeah, um, yeah. And, yeah Burns is Burns is repulsed by by, a, by who he calls a what he calls a cupcake. And right. it's uh, Hawkeye and Trapper are like well, this this cupcake. You know, wants to go back and, and serve his time. And it's and, and Hawkeye and Trapper sort of arrange it to blackmail Frank. Because they get him to admit right. that he cheated on his uh, his medical exam, <laughs> right? Uh, but they they you know they have this attitude of basically what business of it is yours, you know? He's a he's a soldier. Yeah. He's a lawyer. And you know you think about this is 1973. They're doing this. Talk about being about ahead of say, the curve. I mean that's pretty revolutionary for prime time. Yeah, I mean that's that's an astounding episode. You know, I mean it's. Yeah. it's we, you watch it now, and there are some parts of it that are a little ham-handed. I mean, he talks about, you know, uh, how do you know? They were like, how did, how did your, 
how do your guys, how do the other guys even know you were gay? And he says, well, it was something that happened once years ago. And you're like, well, something that happened once years ago doesn't make you gay. But you, <laughs> you, you forgive it because, of the, again, they, the, the show's heart is in the right place. And later on in the third season, there was an episode called uh, OR, which takes place entirely in the operating room. There's no yeah. land track. It is, That's a really good one. Yeah, it is all about the blood and guts of fight, working on these guys. And there's a, there's a moment in that episode where Henry uh, has a patient wheeled in front of him, and he looks, and we don't, of course we don't see it, what, what, what's wrong with this kid. And he calls over Hawkeye and he says, uh, you know, I, I'm not ready to make decisions like this. He says, but this kid is going to require 18 hours worth of work and then who knows how many pints of blood. And worst off, he'll never make it. And huh. Hawkeye says, you know, meanwhile, we could save some of the others. What are we going to do? And Henry basically allows the kid to die on the table. Yeah. And you know, huh. you're like, holy, you know, this is a guy, this is Henry Blake, a guy who has, you know, he talks about himself and says, you know, the, the biggest decision he had to make back home was whether to get the cat fixed. Yeah. And, and here he is having to make decisions like that. And it's just, it's a, it's a remarkable episode. And it's, again, it's amazing that this aired on network television in 1973. And, and, you know, just, just to, to piggyback off what you're saying, you know, Henry Blake as a character, uh, if we're talking about the opportunities that could have been afforded Trapper, you know, in the years to come, I mean, Henry, the, the nuance that we started to see in him, especially in, in the third season, we can only imagine that would have further, you know, enriched him in the years ahead. So I have to imagine that that McLean Stevenson looked back with a lot of regret for leaving that show, yeah. uh, because it just he nothing he did in the years since could have measured up to playing this character on Mash. Yeah, it's it's a shame when you see an actor who basically became kind of like a punchline after this because McLean Stevenson was you know, the 70s version of Shelley Long, you know. Yeah, or David Caruso. David, or the, the 90s version of that is David Caruso, is someone who leaves a hit show early and then basically never does much of anything of, of note, and you just look back and you say, what the hell was wrong with you? You were on a you were on an all-star team. What are you doing? Yeah. And the fact that um, McLean Stevenson was never in anything very good after this, it obscures the fact that he is tremendous, in this show as Henry Blake. He and, was Yeah, there's so many fantastic. moments, you know. Uh, just, I mean, the, the, the episode, and I don't remember off the top of my head what it is, but where he's watching the the home video footage, and they're all they're all watching it in the office. Yes. Uh, of his wife and stuff. And just, I mean, he, the, the, the sadness that you see on his face, and you see why he's, so, so he presents as sort of like a happy drunk, because there's just this, inherent sadness of him this normal suburban dad who's stuck here and he's he's in charge of of these life or debt decisions in a much deeper way than than hawkeye and these people are you know yeah they, they we see right we see this this footage and of course it's silent because right. you know they don't have any which makes it to me even more powerful that you're just watching these sort of home movies and you see his wife and it's in black and white and his kids and they're all, they have like these cards and they flip the cards over and it says, miss you. Right. And they, they cut to Henry and he's tearing up. And yeah, it's a very powerful moment. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's, it's a shame when you look at someone like that who really didn't do much else 
and and it just becomes shorthand for oh that that guy's a joke, and you're like yeah, but yeah. you know when you give him the good material, he can do it, and they gave him great material, and I mean, and part of it, I mean, when you're talking about Henry Blake, we have to talk about <laughs> how they got rid of him, uh, yeah. which was you know up until the final episode was the most famous episode of Mash of all time, right? They decided at some point along the line that we are going to kill Henry Blake off. And this was a, sh- a decision that, uh, you know, I don't know if you could do nowadays. I, re- I honestly wonder if a, if a TV network would not interfere to the level where they would just say, you can't do it. But MASH was a huge hit, and they had the creative sort of heft to say, we're going to do it. And, you know, we watch Henry earn his points, which, of course, they didn't do in the Korean War, and they never did for doctors anyway, but that's a, that's a side <laughs> thing. Um, but Henry gets rotated home, and he uh, says bye to everybody, and the show is over. The episode's over. It's, everything's great. And, you know, it's, it's sad because Radar's surrogate father is, is now gone, and, and we all know that Frank Burns is going to be in charge, which is, that's a nightmarish, you know, that's, that's, a, real Obama, <laughs> that's a real Obama-Trump switch right there. And, and the, you know, the episode's over. Everything's right. okay. And then we have this scene in the operating room where Radar walks in and reads this, uh, this telegram or this sort of message that comes in, and he reads it. I love Gary Berghoff's take on this. He reads it completely emotionlessly. Yeah. And I loved that choice where he just says, I have a message. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Henry Blake's plane shot down over the Sea of Japan. It spun in. There were no survivors. And then they just right. pan across all the actors, all of whom are covered in face masks because they're performing surgery. So all we get are their eyes. And yeah. yet we see everything we need to see in that moment. We see Burns. Even Burns looks upset. Yeah. Margaret. He's shell-shocked. Margaret yeah, looks like she's crying, about to cry. Openly crying. Yeah. Uh, Father Mulcahy is just sort of flummoxed. Klinger is assisting um, Hawkeye and Trapper. And we hear someone off screen drop an instrument. Right. And it bangs on the wood floor. And it is really, you know, the, the, I don't know whether that was intentional or not. But it's no, genius. it wasn't, uh, according to Larry Gelbart. And that's the second take. Like, it, what Larry Gelbart right? said yeah. is that they did the first one. And, and you know, uh, Gary Berghoff just nailed it. And, you know, when... They, they had to do an, uh, another take because, you know, the camera didn't move the right way or whatever. And they were like, man, how can he top his first take? And somehow he managed to do that. And he, and he said that it wasn't intentional to have that, that uh, implement drop, but it just felt so perfect oh. given the, the scenario that, you know, you, we remember that as part of the, the aesthetic of that particular scene. Yeah, it reverberates. You hear like, you know, and it's just, and then we, the final shot we have is of Hawkeye and Trapper, and they just look. They just stare straight ahead of like, I just can't believe it. They just, it's I, the the look on Hawkeye's face. It really like, I don't. It's hard to it's hard to to encapsulate. The, you know, it, there's the. It's not shock. It's it's almost like anger, on Hawkeye's face. Like like f this war. You know, because mm-hmm. uh, that that was because I I in in prep for this episode I actually went I was watching that scene in particular and that that was really. I was looking at at Alan Alda's just his eyes. I mean, it's it's like uh, this this anger born of sadness, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. You just because he just I can't believe that this good man this could happen yeah. to this good man. This is a father. Yeah. He's a husband. He's a he's a healer. 
and yet, and and he was home. He was home. He made it. Yeah. And yet, you know, like it's it's not to sound flip, but it's like you know running a marathon and tripping. Right. On the, in the last, you know, three feet before you get to the finish line. So right. yeah, it's it's a stunning moment, and you know, audiences were just completely flummoxed that they would do this. That a sitcom would kill off a character like this so unceremoniously, and you know, it really established that Mash is. Not going to as a not, it's not going to be as Larry Gilbert put a smile button, where it's yeah. just going to just you know oh wait it's Abin Costello goes to war no this is some serious shit that goes on. I here. I, I read an interview uh, a contemporaneous one with uh, with Clay um, Stevenson where he talked about how he couldn't even go to the rap party afterwards he mm. just sat in his dressing room after finishing after rapping and he just cried for two hours. Because I, th- I think, obviously, the weight of saying goodbye to uh, the character and, and uh, uh, the show, but also, I think, his, his, the family that had, uh, you know, built up between these, these actors, too. Um, I have to imagine that he felt the, the pangs of regret almost instantly. I mean, how could you not, you know? Yeah. 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 You're just, you know, like, well, oh, geez, what did I do? You know, <laughs> like, yeah. what did I do? You know? and. But luckily, you know, again, it's one of those things where it's like a happy accident because that gave the show the opportunity to bring in a new commanding officer. And in the very next season, uh, it brought in uh, Harry Morgan, the great Harry Morgan. Yeah, who was already well known at that time. The legendary Harry Morgan. Dragnets, you know, a million movies as Colonel Sherman Potter. And, you know, I'm I'm sure, Zachy, that you've seen this over time, that, you know, people of a certain political stripe like to dismiss mash it's just liberal claptrap you know it's yeah. oh it's anti-war it hates the military it says everybody in the military is are idiots it's just liberal garbage well and colonel potter's a response to that exactly that is like yeah. I, every time i've heard somebody say that i'm like have you seen the show because yeah. because this show created colonel potter it did not inherit colonel potter it created colonel potter and colonel sherman t potter sherman t potter could not be a better example of a reason to be a military man. Yeah, he. I mean, he's he's a repost specifically uh, to Hawkeye's critique yes. of of the military. I mean, they, because Hawkeye, oh God, regular army. Yep. We know what we're going to get from this guy, and 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 Colonel Potter. The, what's interesting about him is that it's not like there's a. a, a, a a learning curve process where he sort of becomes acclimated to Hawkeye's way. It's, it's like he lays out the rules right up top. He's like, look, we're going to do things this way, but boy, episode one, uh, yeah. change of command. He's, he's part of the group. Yep. You know, there's a, there's a beautiful scene. I, you know, we don't, we don't have time to talk about all this and may, and we'll get into like, a, maybe I do a whole mash podcast at some point down the line, <laughs> but there's a wonderful, we don't get a, like the, the filmmaking. You don't really talk about a TV show's filmmaking that much. Cause it's really a writer's medium, not a director's it's, medium, especially in that era. Yeah. But there's a, when, when Hawkeye and Trapper and Potter get drunk for the first time together, and, and BJ and Potter. I'm sorry, yes, and BJ and Potter. And they, they, they all get drunk together, and they, that's when they bond, and then they realize that they can get along. And after this, all these scenes where they're joking back and forth about, they're saying, uh, you know, to Best Truman, to Margaret Truman, to Ares Truman, you know, they're doing all this stuff. Right. This <laughs> right. beautiful shot outside the tent at night. We half see the three of them through the gauze, through the netting. 
and right. and it's quiet and they're singing uh, there's a, it's a, there's a long long night of waiting till my dreams all come true and the camp is quiet and you just hear these three guys singing and it's a beautiful moment it's a it's like and the camera slowly pans back as it starts and it's it's really like I know the show doesn't want you to ever think that you should want to be in Korea. You don't want to right. be there. But you watch something like that and you're like, I'd love to have friends like that. I'd love to have friends that are forged, that, that their friendships are forged in fire like that. Because that, that's such a sweet moment. Like, I want to be in that tent with those guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, if, you're, if you have to be in this hellish situation, these are the people you want to be in it with. Yes. Yeah. And there's a, in fact, there's a line just like that in the last episode. We'll, we'll get to that. And uh, from my money, uh, I s- suggest that the combination of Hawkeye and Hot Lips. We haven't mentioned Hot Lips enough, and we should because she was a yeah. We haven't. We haven't at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the com the the this, the combo of um, in seasons four and five, which is which is Hawkeye, Trap. I keep saying Trapper. Hawkeye, BJ, Colonel Potter. Margaret, Frank Burns, Radar, Father McKay, and Klinger to me are the best. Not only are seasons four and five to me the best seasons of MASH, they're the best seasons of television, period. Yeah, I've seen Um, you say that before, yeah. Because they experimented. Uh, They did episodes that I think are incredibly gutsy in terms of their form, uh, their filmmaking, and they they figured the audience was willing to go with them because they had established trust. They knew, you know, and there's an episode in season four called The Interview, which is basically reality television. Right. Uh, I mean, how many shows now have people talking to the camera? And here is an episode entirely in black and white with a reporter, Cleet Roberts, interviewing Uh. the members of the 477th. And all the actors were given the questions beforehand and then allowed to write their own answers. That's, right. that's extraordinary that you could give the actors that kind of leeway and they, the writers knew the actors were going to be able to do it. They were going to be able to stay in character and yet say something interesting that you could make an episode out of it. It's unbelievable. And correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't the, you know, they made the pilot Walter about uh, Radar O'Reilly. Doesn't that sort of call back to that episode, the interview? There's a little bit of a callback, yes. Yeah, that, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's an extraordinary episode, and there's a line in it uh, that Hawkeye has where the, the reporter asks Hawkeye, uh, what have you brought with you? Did you bring anything with you? Creature comforts. Mm-hmm. And Hawkeye says, I brought the dictionary. And Claire, why? Why did you bring the dictionary? He says, well, I figure it has all the other books in it. <laughs> the, I, I, the first time I heard that, I was like, what? Imagine, like, my 10-year-old head, you know. And when I I was running my MASH blog, aftermash.blogspot.com, I wrote about that when I got to that episode. I wrote that I assumed that that line was in the culture already because it was so so brilliant. I couldn't believe that Alan Alda wrote it. I just couldn't believe that that it just wasn't something that existed for hundreds of years. And Alan Alda just sort of pulled it. And... And I will always be proud of this. Larry Gelbart left a comment on my MASH blog, <laughs> which is wow. unbelievable. Who would have guessed, you know, Larry Gelbart was trolling MASH sites. But he, wrote, he, he left a comment. He said, nope, that's all his line. He came up with it. I thought, unbelievable. It's just yeah. unbelievable. And so uh, I think that combo 
of having Potter mixed with Frank Burns, to me is just so, it's hysterically funny. I mean, it's just, they, they had some of the best lines. The Dear Sigmund episode for Sigmund, Sig, Sig, Sidney Friedman, another great creation of the show. Uh, I just, I look at those two seasons and I say, uh-huh. I, Nash, no TV show ever did anything better than this. They were just so on fire and the cast was so perfect. And it, it had to end, of course, because Larry Linville got tired of playing this cartoon of a character, which is understandable. Uh, yeah. in, in season five, they married uh, Margaret Houlihan off to Donald Penobscot, uh, yes. military man. And at that point, Larry Linville just thought, I have nothing left to do here. And he signed. And he wasn't that. wrong. I mean, I mean, of, right. of the three of the three departures, I think I look at Frank and I'm like, yeah, they, they pretty much played out that thread as far as it could go. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. Although I think were... he, I think he left it on the field, you know. There were, yeah, there, although there is a moment, actually, again, much like the one I talked about with Trapper, where in uh, season five there's an episode called um, Margaret's Engagement, where Margaret comes right. back from Tokyo and she reveals to Frank she's been married, she's getting married to Donald Penobscot, Lieutenant Colonel Donald Penobscot. She could never marry anyone who didn't outrank her. And um, Frank loses it. Frank just loses it. And he goes and he wanders out into the, to the brush and he arrests a Korean family and their cow. And... Uh, he is overtired because he's just so he's been up all night and running around and they to calm him down radar calls Frank's mom to talk to him on the phone to, to you know he says sometimes a guy just got to talk to his mom and Frank starts talking to his mother about what's going on at Mash and he has this amazing line where he says I had this friend who I thought liked me but just huh. pretended to like me you know, like the way dad used to. Wow. Is, wow. You know, like, whoa. You know, and it's one of those things where I'm like, if they had kind of mined that a little, they really could have turned Frank into something a little deeper, but they obviously just weren't necessarily interested in doing it. But that line has always haunted me, that Frank that's, Burns that's terrific, yeah. Frank Burns had enough self-awareness to know, well, now we know, like, we kind of know why he is the way he is. His, his father never loved him. That's pretty Yeah, I mean, I think, I think... That's that's terrific, actually. I don't I don't remember that that exchange, but that's fantastic. I mean, I I think the the problem to some extent with the character is he had been so buffoonized. Yeah. You know, in in that in that you know his his doctoring was known to be subpar in yes. the narrative of the show, right? So so there was there was just no way to reclaim the character because it's one thing if you say, well, he's like a, a horrible human being, but there's this. He's he's at least good at his doctoring. That that allows you to reclaim the character in some right. way. And, and to be honest, I I think that when they brought on Winchester, that it, it was with an eye towards that. Right, right. In the sixth season, when they bring in uh, uh, David Ogden Styers as Colonel, as a Colonel, I'm sorry, Major Winchester. Yes, he's a good. He's in fact he's a great doctor, and in fact in some right. ways he's even a better technical surgeon. Uh, than Hawkeye and and BJ. In fact, that first episode with Winchester ends with there's a there's some he's a thoracic surgeon. That's his big expertise, and Hawkeye's going to handle it. And Colonel Botter says, "No, no, no, better give it to Winchester. He's a, he's our man at thoracics." And B, Hawkeye's like, "What's so great about him?" You know, and yeah. he says something like, "I'm not going to play second scalpel to this Garbanzo for the rest of the war." And mm-hmm. yeah, it's Winchester just is not as fun because he's not as hateful. Right. But yeah, you, you couldn't just keep doing. Frank Burns. You had to evolve the show a little. And so I think David Ogden Steers maybe gets a bum rap because he's associated with kind of this quote-unquote 
less funny years of the show. Right. But it's, the, the, the wind down. Yeah. But you, it's a natural evolution. You just, you know, the show had to morph a little. And I, they gave him a lot to do. They gave, they had hidden depths to him, uh, which I liked a lot because he's another character, much like Colonel Potter, who doesn't bend. I mean, he loosens up. But he always right. sort of retains his sort of standoffish, and you know, his his he's a in the show he's a conservative Republican, but he's not the hypocrite that Burns is. You know, right. Burns Burns talks about we guys we should give this country back to the Indians. You know, it's like good lord. You know, he doesn't even know yeah. what country he's in. Uh, right. And I love that you know there's a later episode where Hawkeye's ultimate insult to Winchester is your father voted for Roosevelt four times. Like that's, that's the way of getting under Winchester's skin. But I love David Ogden. I thought he was a great character. I love the whole bit about his sister, Honoria, that he has this beloved sister at home. Like it's to me, the show is never quite recovers from the loss of Frank Burns, but it also never recovered from the loss of Larry Gelbart. Cause Larry Gelbart left after the right. season as well. And Larry Gelbart is one of the great genius writers of all time. And, there was just no way to replace him. That's true. Uh, so, and then the last sort of major cast change is, again, we talked about his Radar. Radar shipped out after the eighth season. And that was, again, another instance of, you know, Gary Berghoff was getting older. His hairline was receding at a rapid pace. And he, right. he couldn't keep playing a 19-year-old, this sort of gosh, G. Williger's character. But, you know, I've seen interviews where he's talked about that he represents a character that you don't see much in television, which is kind of an innocence, you know, right. sweetness. And, and uh, I, will, I will admit, um, you know, I, it's, I, I try to stay focused on these shows. And I have so much to say about this damn show. But, like, <laughs> you know, people like to say that entertainment doesn't affect your behavior. I think people that want to excuse what they put out, whether it's a violent movie, oh, you know, that doesn't change your behavior. I don't know if that's true. I think it does affect your behavior in some ways because Radar was the first vegetarian I ever saw on television. Oh, really? And I'm a vegetarian. I've been one for 20 years. And, wow. and he was an influence on me because he rescues a lamb when there's a lamb brought into the camp. Right, he, right. He, he can't abide the notion that they're going to kill this little thing. And so Radar, that was a big deal to me. That was like, wow, you could, you know, that was a thing. And Another instance of, of like a behavior that I learned was Hawkeye hates guns. Right. Hawkeye hates guns, and I hate guns. I hate guns, and every time, uh, you know, I learned it kind of from Hawkeye Pierce. You know, was the kind of, you know, just this utter revulsion towards right. firearms. And he has the great episode where he talks about I'll bind their wounds, I'll heal their wounds, I'll this, but I will not inflict their wounds. Hmm. Uh, and that's a that's a big moment. You know, for, and that that was a, a, a big moment for me. I always had that kind of like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with them. You know, uh, it's it's and it's a show that helped to kind of form who I was. And if it sounds like we're wrapping up a little bit, I think we are because we have limited time and we can just go on and on and on about this. But like, oh, I'm I'm loving the conversation. That's for sure. Um, we, sh- we should make this a. a, a- Part one of a continuing discussion. Well, that's we. I have I have something to mention about that. <laughs> we'll get to the end of the show, but let's <laughs> we'll jump ahead a little to near the end. Like, what did you think about the last final seasons? Because a lot of people say the show won't war its welcome. You say it didn't become Zombie Mash, and I agree with that. Uh, but what do you think about like kind of the later years where it was just kind of the cast changes had stopped, and it was really just kind of these core guys going 
kind of finding variations on a theme at that point. Well, so again, I think it's helpful to contextualize my response with the way I watched it, which was pretty much uh, the, the DVD equivalent of binge watching. Uh, I would imagine that for people who are watching it contemporaneously, it, it may have indeed felt like, okay, let's let's cut to the chase here. But I think it helps knowing, well, uh, you know, the finish line is this many seasons out or whatnot. And so let's just enjoy the time we have with these characters. Uh, it was a different show. I mean, by the time it ended and you, you either dig that or you don't. And I know plenty of people who, who said, you know, by the end, it was the adventures of Hawkeye Pierce, bleeding heart liberal. Was, right. Right. You know, and, and I respect that. I, I don't fully uh, subscribe to that, but I, I can respect that. But, but I think that, whatever uh, contours we went through as the show ended. I mean, I think the finale was so well done, uh, especially the closing moments. I do feel like it was maybe a little bit longer than it needed to be, but uh, Hey, you know, it's, it's a, a, a perfect summation of the show. And, and I think the end of the show sums up the journey that audiences had been on, you know? So, so when you look at, when you look at the cultural and political and, and social changes that happened between, uh, 1972 and 1983, and the fact that MASH was there, uh, through all of that, I mean, the, the end of the show was really the end of an era. Yep. And, and I, I think it's fascinating that you can, you can look at, if, if we're looking at TV comedy, you, you have the, the, the end of MASH almost, uh, kind of overlaps with the beginning of cheers and if you yeah. look at the the in mash and cheers together form this two decade run of really groundbreaking tv comedy like how you can do comedy on tv yeah they were they they were on the for one year they were on at the same time which is that's a that's yeah. the golden age of television right there yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even featuring and some you, of the same you, writers you, yeah you know, and, and really, if you want to tack on at the end, add on the, the 11 years of Frasier, we've got a solid three decades <laughs> of really amazing television, you know? Yeah, it's a, it was an extraordinary show. One other thing I, I will mention before we get to the last episode is one of the things that they did in the last couple seasons was sort of, again, spin the dial a little in terms of um, not so much content, but form, which is something The Simpsons is doing. Yes. Uh, you know, I haven't been watching The Simpsons. I haven't watched The Simpsons in, ye gods, 15 years. Uh, <laughs> but it seems like they don't have anything new content-wise to do. So it's more about, oh, let's do an episode with blocks. Let's do an episode with this. And that's fine. I'm not, I'm not running the show down. But that just yeah. sort of happens. And MASH did that. MASH did an episode called Dreams, where we see everybody's dreams. So it becomes a very abstract show yes. you know we get to see them do something that you didn't get to do they did an episode of lifetime which takes place in real time it takes place in uh, a, a patient has 24 minutes uh before uh with his heart valve being closed before he's going to be permanently paralyzed and we see a clock on the screen and so the right. the, the show unfolds in real time so uh, alan alda realized that you could play with the show like you could play with the format uh, and in terms of the, again, with the format, the, as you mentioned, the final episode runs two and a half hours with commercials. I do think it's probably a little long. I do yeah. I admit. My biggest fault I have with the final episode is that it doesn't feel like a MASH episode. It feels like a movie. Um, right. And that's my only nitpick is that it just doesn't feel like the same show you've been watching for 11 years. But what can you do? You know what I mean? Like, right. they, you know, they, 
this story is so huge. And unlike a lot of other final episodes, you mentioned Cheers, you mentioned Frasier, where there is not a natural Cheers and Frasier don't have a natural end date. Right. You know, you have to kind of contrive some big moment to put a put a period on the sentence. Well, Mash had that. The end of the war. That's what everybody's right. waiting to see. And right. I love that they chose to give that moment where we see the look on someone's face when the war is announced to be over. We, they give that to Winchester, which I love. I love they don't give it huh. to Hawkeye. Right. Know? And Alan Alda wrote the, co-wrote the that's, episode. That's, a, that's on Alan Alda. I was about to say, I mean, to his credit, yeah. he didn't give himself that moment. Right. I love that. I love that when it's when Winchester is saying goodbye to the, the Korean musicians that he has befriended. And yeah. uh, as he's walking, we hear the, the voiceover guy saying uh, the, the hostilities, uh, the, 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 in Pamum Jam, the, uh, the truce has been signed. Hostilities will end 12 hours from now. The war is over. And Winchester looks like he's going to cry. He's so happy. And right. Steers nails it. He just nails that moment of so being so happy that this thing that we're finally waiting for so long has now happened. And I love the last episode. I think it's I think it's beautiful to get to see everyone uh, say goodbye to one another. The final moments where they all literally leave one at a time. Uh, we've we've really been derelict in not mentioning Margaret Houlihan at all in the show. It's just yeah, really. <laughs> she Loretta Swit is wonderful. I got to meet Loretta Swit. It is the the number one uh, fan experience of my life. You've met so many hundreds of famous people. I've only met a handful, but the number one is Loretta Swit. When I got to meet her at a, at a, at a con and tell her how much I love Mash, uh, which is one of the one of the great moments of my life. That's but, amazing. Um, but the final, the, the, those final scenes where everyone gets a storyline, uh, you know, Klinger's marrying Soon Lee and Winchester's looking for a gig, and uh, Margaret doesn't know what to do because she's she's a she's an army brat. You know, what do you do if you're an army brat? And you don't have a war to fight. Um, they all get a storyline, and it's, I get emotional even thinking about it. And the moment that I think about the most, and you mentioned something about this earlier on, is when it's the final moment on the, the helipad with right. Hawkeye and BJ. And BJ says, you know, um, I don't know, I'm blowing the line, but he says, I can't imagine what this place would have been like if I, didn't, if I hadn't found you here. Right, and it's that idea that you mentioned about like if you have to do this, these are the people you want to do it with, and right. it was a big moment to me to see two men hug and be right. emotional with one another and being able to say to one another, not literally, but say it, "I love you, you're right. my best friend." That was so important to me as in my development, and that's like I, I watched the show live when it aired. I was in sixth uh-huh. grade. It was a huge thing, and I it's it stays with me. It's just one of right. those things where it's just such a beautiful. And I really thought, for a show that had so much, they stuck the landing. They really did. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, I mean, and the the, the thing with um, Colonel Potter, where they say goodbye to Colonel Potter, where what do they do? How do they say goodbye to? What's their gift to Colonel Potter? They give him a salute. Right. They give him a no nonsense. No bullshit salute. And, it's and like, if you know the characters, you know what a big deal that is exactly. for Hawkeye to do that. Exactly. I think well, Henry, like Henry's the only person he saluted before then, right? Wasn't it? Something like that. He only saluted, yeah, he, I think he saluted like three people in the course of 11 yeah. years. But when they give it to Colonel Potter, 
they mean it. They are saluting this man. And it's just, it's beautiful. And the final shot of the final show is Hawkeye in the chopper as he's taking off. Uh, BJ has left a note for him saying goodbye, written in stones. We see BJ, we see Hawkeye look at the note. He smiles. We get one last look at the camp, which is now deserted. Uh, right. Which is, it's, it's, it's weird when you're looking at a set that you're so familiar with and then you see it as a skeleton. Yeah. You know, it's, it's bizarre. And we see Hawkeye look, he rears his head back, the chopper takes off and it fades to black, and that's it. And that's the end of the show. And, uh, and Alan Alda, to his credit, said, um, that's it. We'll never see Hawkeye yeah. again. And we never did. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think when I, when I look at uh, finales, this, this might seem like not the the strongest of tendrils connecting, but uh, a very what feels in my mind a very similar finale is uh, for Deep Space Nine, hmm. uh, because that too is the aftermath of a war and the breakup of our cast. And you know, I I think that you know, there's two kinds of finales. Kind of you mentioned there's the there's the finale that well life goes on and tomorrow is going to be another adventure with these characters that we'll never see, and then there's the finale that says life as we've known it with these characters is over forever. Right. Right. And there's, and, and to me, that's, that's what the mash finale is. It's this period that brought these people together, that made them a family is over and they'll never be together the same way ever again. Yeah. And I think that's the reason that the, the, the stone goodbye at the end remains even now such a poignant image because it's a, it's a marker a grave marker, if you will, of this era for these characters and our time with them. No, that, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. No, it really does. It's, it, it's, it, I mean, I love the cheers for now, but yeah. also no norm's going to be back at the bar the next day, uh, as opposed to this. Yeah. Where, yeah. This, this, we, this, this unit, the four, seven, seven no longer exists. We have seen the sum total of these guys' experiences together. And that's a very powerful, it's kind of, you know, it's like when you lose someone in your life, you know, whether they move yeah. away or a relationship breaks up, it's, it's, it's a marker. As you said, it's lit. It's a literal marker of this part of these people's lives is over. And as much as I was, part of me was always so tempted to like, could they have just done a reunion movie? I just wanted to yeah. see it. So bad. I'm glad they never did. They well, but but they did they did have a reunion of sorts. Uh, do we do we want to talk about this? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> why don't you go ahead? Well, I mean, a- after Mash is is a fascinating thing because I think I think uh, my sense is you're 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 more forgiving of it than I am. Um, That's probably true. I I just I I look at the show and I I don't think it's necessarily a bad show. It just feels like a completely extraneous, unnecessary show. I would agree with that. I my, okay. My thing with Aftermath is its reputation is much worse than it deserves. Is Aftermath a good show? No, it isn't. Even one of the writers, Ken, Ken Levine, uh, on over on his blog, Ken Levine Blogspot, even he never misses an opportunity to crap on his own work on that show. Uh, so it is not a good show. There's, I will say that. But by the fact that it is unavailable. It is completely unavailable. It is not yeah. on DVD. It's not streaming. It's not anywhere. It is. It's not even on the Martinis and Medicine box set. I mean, they yes. have the movie in the box set, which has less yeah. to do with the show than the Aftermath. But the fact that that show was so completely just 
you know, like, uh, like Russian propaganda, just uh, that never happened. No, we don't. <laughs> that joke. It, it, it gives people the illusion that, boy, that thing must be a disaster. And well, it, it was sort of the, the Joey of its time, you know, the, the Friends spinoff. <laughs> right. It, and kind of similar, too, where it, because Joey lasted two seasons, first season actually did pretty well, and then it just crashed and burned second season to Aftermath, same thing. Yeah. I, I think a show set in a veterans hospital dealing with uh, how we treat our soldiers after a war, I think that is ripe material for a show. Sure. But uh, they just, you know, look, your main characters were Hawkeye and BJ and Margaret and... You get rid of them and you replace them with. You, sometimes you get lucky and you get a Frasier. You know, you find someone right. as compelling a performer as Kelsey Grammer, and he can fill the space. But and 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 the thing with, I mean, what's so interesting about that is you, can you could they have known when they introduced Frasier on Cheers that he would go on to single handedly carry the legacy of that show? Because you, you nobody could have known. You know no, what I mean? No, they got completely and, and, lucky. And, and, and I, I, th- I think just to piggyback on what you're saying, I like Colonel Potter. I like Klinger. I like Father Mulcahy. Do I like him as the lead to the show? No. Not really. No. No. And in, and in fact, in the second season, they brought in a character played by a guy named David Aykroyd, no relation to the more famous Aykroyd, uh, right. who was kind of like a Hawkeye character. They brought in this right. kind of hard-charging, uh, ir- you know, irreverent doctor, and he's clearly Hawkeye. They're clearly trying to, you know, get it. So I think... If that show had been given more time to develop, uh, I think it might have could have possibly gone somewhere, but it never really got that chance. This, the, the, the network futzed with it, um, as is typical with network television, is they assume that a spinoff should be out of the gate as successful as the show it is spinning off from, and that's not fair because it's a different show. It's not MASH. It's a, it's, you, know, you can't possibly follow MASH, but they... They were like, well, why isn't this MASH? You're like, well, because it's, it's not the same thing. And they put it on up against the A-team. Um, uh, it's funny, you, you talked about the culture, about how MASH lasted so long that it sort of straddled several cultures. You know, MASH started during the Vietnam War, and things were pretty, you know, Nixon was president, and there was a lot of sort of rebellion going on. Well, when MASH went off the air, Ronald Reagan was president, and the country was heading into a much more conservative time. And uh, people wanted to see shit blow up. Right. So uh, Mr. T driving around in a van throwing grenades. uh, (laughs) That's what people wanted to see. They didn't want to see Klinger and Soon Lee try to navigate uh, racists who didn't like the fact that he had a Korean wife. They don't don't want to see that. They wanted, you know, we'll do it for the kids. That's what people wanted to see in 1983, (laughs) not Aftermath. But I, I think if Aftermath was available its reputation would rise a little. I really do. I think it's because it's been so buried that people well, just have never you seen know, an episode just go, oh my God, that thing must be garbage. You, you know what else is buried, though, Rob? And this is a show that was quite successful, was Trapper John M.D. Right, right. And, and this, I mean, it's seven seasons it lasted. That's a hit by any measure. Uh, it's a success by any measure, and yet, psh, down the memory hole. And I, this is a show yeah. that I really wish people would would rediscover because my memories of it and I've sort of watched bits and pieces of it on YouTube is a pretty solid show of its era. You know, I think Pernell Roberts is a pretty darn good Trapper John. 
Yeah, I remember watching that show. I think I watched it because of the MASH connection, because I was like, oh, it's sure. it's not Wayne Rogers, but it's Rich Trapper John, and he would make the occasional references to Hawkeye Pierce or whatever, and I was like, ooh, right. you know, I was such a MASH nerd that I was like, you know, it's part of the MASH cinematic universe. Uh, to use exactly. Karen Parlin. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's right. In terms of reunions, and this will be the thing we end with, um, there was a reunion in that in uh, 1993 or 94, I forget exactly what, no, no, later this, I'm sorry, it was around 1989, the entire cast, uh, save for Larry Linville and McLean Stevenson, who unfortunately had passed on, uh, did get together, and mm-hmm. they right. did a reunion show, and it's on the set, it's on the That's set, right. and it's with... Uh, Gene Reynolds and Larry Gelbart and Burt Metcalf and mm-hmm. Alan Arbus as Sidney Friedman, uh, which is uh, talk, to me that's the character should have spun off Sidney Friedman. I think right. he would have been a great like you could you could have done a great like Lou Grant type show where like an hour long drama with Sidney Friedman. I love Alan Arbus as Sidney Friedman so much. But they did get to all together. We got to see them reminisce. They didn't play the characters, but we did get to see them all together in a group setting, and that was fun. So to me, it's like we did kind of get a reunion. It was just a reunion that doesn't risk the legacy of the show because it wasn't well, the characters, it was the actors. Weren't, weren't there two reunion specials? There was another one. There was an earlier one in 93, hosted by Shelley that's, Long. <laughs> that's the one I was thinking, yeah. And then the, the, the 30th anniversary, so that would have been 02. Yeah, yeah, that's right, 02. Okay. Yeah, that's the really good one because it's, yeah. it's you get to see them all together and they're telling jokes and stuff like that. And uh, they're all looking older, but they look great. You know, I mean, it's everybody still looks. It's kind of the last time that the majority of the cast was together, right? Because right in the in the intermediate time, we've lost Wayne Rogers and we've lost William Christopher and we've lost Harry Morgan. Harry Morgan so, also. Yeah. Um, so we did get a reunion. So uh, the the very last thing I, I, I will mention uh, on on this episode because again we have just just it's too big a topic to cover in an hour <laughs> and change is Mash is the last piece of fandom that I don't have a podcast on. <laughs> like, I have a podcast on Treasury Comics. I have a podcast on movies. I have a podcast on Aquaman. I have a podcast on Bob Dylan. I don't have a MASH podcast. I was hoping to start one, an episode-by-episode episode show, for the 45th anniversary, which, as we said, is today. Because I cannot bend time and space, uh, I just don't <laughs> have time to do a show. But we wanted to do at least this. I, I, am, I will... I will put this out there for people to pressure me i am hoping to maybe start that show instead of for the 45th anniversary which is today to start it for the 35th anniversary of the final episode oh there you go which would be february 28th 2018 so maybe i will have time for that because i would love to do an episode by episode deep dive of this show and if i ever do it zachy i i hope that you would be willing to join me for at least a couple episodes I, I, I will gladly be the the Sydney uh, <laughs> sh- showing up periodically to to offer my whatever wit and wisdom I might uh, be perceived as having. Fair enough. Well, that's that's a good. I was gonna, I was going to say Colonel Flag, but I, I like Sydney better. Yeah, so no, you don't want to you don't want to be <laughs> Colonel Flag. Oh man, Colonel Flag, man. What, what what part of the Trump cabinet would Colonel Flag be part of if he was around? Oh today? my goodness, yeah, really, right. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I will end this here. There's so much more to say, but at the very least, we got to we got to talk a little bit about how much both Zachy and I love Mash for its, its 45th birthday. So, uh, is there anything else you want to say about the show before we wrap up, Zachy? Uh, you know, if if you're listening to this and somehow you've not seen it, you know, you've got this solid piece of not just TV history but really American history 
uh, and pop culture history waiting for you. And, and it's, you're, you're in for a heck of a run. I mean, just, just start watching it and, and enjoy it because, uh, there, there's a lot more to enjoy than, than, than to dislike in, in the, the run of MASH. Absolutely true. And I will, I will send this message out to 20th Century Fox home in guys streaming. What are you waiting for? Yeah. Again, Put it back on, on Netflix yeah. or something. Yeah. It was on Net- when it was on Netflix, my girlfriend and I watched it on loop, and then they got rid of it. So I don't know what they're waiting for to make it. I would buy it all over again. I, I have the box set, but if they put all the seasons up I, on streaming, I would buy it in a heartbeat. I, here's, here's my story. I actually had to buy it again because the Martinis and Medicine set has the worst packaging in the history of humankind. It very much does, yes. So basically every second episode would just not play. So I dropped another seventy bucks just so I could get a set that isn't a piece of garbage. So, yeah. so Fox got my money twice. Yep, yep, yep. Come on, Fox. Again, get with the. Sh- I mean, I go the, to the one thing I'll say though about, about streaming. This is this is what I think of. This is the stuff that you know, as a Mash fan, I think about. I'm used to watching the show without the laugh track. Right, right. So if it's on streaming, I'm like, which uh, I, I would need it without the laugh track. It's interesting, yeah. Whether they would offer it with the whether you could turn the laugh track on and off. Yeah, that's yeah. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Yeah, at least with the DVDs, you can choose which ones you want to do. You can so, just switch it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, that's that's Mash, everybody. Uh, as, as obviously, I could go on and on and on about it. <laughs> uh, we've already gone way past the limit of what Zach and I talked about it doing the show. But um, Zachy, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, well, you can find me at my website, Zachyscorner.com. That's Z-A-K-I-S Corner. You can also reach me on Twitter, uh, just at Zachy's Corner. That's also my Instagram. Uh, I'm also at the Huffington Post, where my movie reviews go up regularly, as does the movie film podcast, as does the Nostalgia Theater podcast. I'm in the middle on the Nostalgia Theater show of a series of classic Star Trek movie commentary tracks with my friend Glenn Greenberg, who is a former Marvel Comics editor and uh, Star Trek uh, fiction writer, and we're having some fun doing those. I have, I imagine that if you listen to Rob's shows, uh, you will enjoy uh, those Star Trek commentaries as well. And I just want to thank you, Rob, for, for thinking of me uh, to share uh, a topic that I know is near and dear to you. I'm, I'm ex- incredibly honored and flattered that, that I got to be part of this reminiscence for you. Well, thank you. It's, yeah, and I love, I love all the commentaries, you, the ones you do with Glenn and the ones you do with Brian. They are enormous fun. Uh, God Thank bless you. you for doing Superman 4. Talk about taking one for the team. <laughs> we but, had a fun uh, run with that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, of course, you can find all the episodes of FW Presents and all our other shows on our network, which is firewaterpodcast.com. And if you're a big fan of MASH and you want to talk about episodes or favorite shows or favorite moments or whatever, we only scratched the surface of this show, uh, please leave comments over on our website. We'd really appreciate it. And I uh, hope everybody enjoyed it. So, uh, I guess in the meantime, everybody, until uh, the next episode of FW Presents, uh, take care, everybody. And uh, Zachy and I are going to go have some drinks at the Oak Club. So we will see you later. Bye. Abyssinia. All the good times, that's what I'll remember. I think there were three.